Welcome to the V1 Church Podcast. I don't know about you, but I do not want to take one more step without the presence of God in my life. I've got great friends. I've got great family, but I need the presence of God, and I know you do too. So go ahead and listen to this message. I'm excited to teach you through the scriptures. So take notes and take a listen. Hey, V1 Church, I am so excited to bring the word to you today. So why don't you uh, turn your Bibles to Psalm 100, chapter uh, chapter 100, verse 4. It's a very familiar passage that you all know. Um, and I really hope and pray that you have your notebook available because I'm going to give you some notes for today. It's really going to be more of a teaching than a preaching. But I know that our church is full of learners and those who really want to go deeper in the word. And so we're going to go there today. Uh, but I'm going to read this. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and give praise to his name. Now, if you are raised an old school church, you probably did a song that was associated with that. And we kind of made it to where enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise was enter the chapel, enter our local church. And you know, that was our thing. But I want to take you all the way back to the Old Testament. I want to take you back to the Old Covenant. And I want to give you the seven stations of the Old Testament tabernacle, which was the dwelling, the indwelling of God's presence. And these seven stages that the sons of Aaron would have actually went through to actually encounter the presence of God and how it's a mirror for the new covenant, which is the era in which we live now. And there's very few believers that know this, and I'm very excited to be able to teach it to you today. And so whether you're brand new to the faith and you just stumbled upon this broadcast, or you're someone who has faithfully studied the scriptures for years, my hope is that I can bring uh, a new perspective, a fresh revelation, and a very profound understanding of how to get into the presence of God. You know, about a year and a half ago, my wife, Julie, got into a car accident and it was actually in our neighborhood in Queens. And you know, if you're, it's like we had to find parking and she's driving around looking for parking. I was in our apartment and then I just get one, the, the call that you never want to get. It's the, you know, screaming, I'm scared. Mike, I just got into an accident. My heart sank right up into my stomach. And I'm like, Julie, where are you? And she gives me the cross streets. And I'm like, you're just two blocks away. So I tell the girls like Bella and Everly, hey, daddy's got to run. Just like, don't do anything while I'm gone. I slam the door behind me and then I just run as fast as I can to this intersection. And I get to the intersection and Julie had been T-boned. So she was driving through an intersection and it, and it hit the passenger side of the car and the car's like mangled up. And it's just one of those horrific scenes that you don't ever, ever wanna see, especially for one of your loved ones. Um, and so I'm like, Julie, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I don't even think I'm bleeding. I'm just really, you know, I, he wasn't going that fast. It, just, it looks worse than it is. So I take her off to the side and I'm like, well, when are the police coming? And my wife literally goes, I haven't called them yet. And I'm like, wait, what? And, and she's like, yeah, I called you first. And I'm like, you called me before the cops when you got into an accident? And she's like, yeah, that was the first thing that came to mind. And it's funny because Julie and I have been married for over 15 years now. And there's so many times where uh, I've gotten that call or got, you know, and I'm kind of busting her out, but here we go. Um, if you're in my life, you're gonna often be part of the sermon. But uh, what happened with my wife was that 
just over the years of being married, you know, we've been to the doctor together for routine checkups or whatever, and, or she's been sick or pregnant. And every single time I'm in the waiting room and they're like, hey, uh, it's Mr. Signorelli here. And they call me back and, you know, in a panic, I'm like, oh no, something's really wrong. And I come back and they're just gonna draw a little bit of blood. But my wife's like, I can't do it without my husband. And so I've got to sit down next to her and like hold her hand. And it's like a big to-do. And every single time it's like the same thing. And, and, you know, being married to Julie, she's super brave. She's one of the most courageous people that I've ever met in my life. But there's just certain things that in her mind, if Mike's here, I feel safe. If, if Mike's here, everything's fine. Like I can give blood if I'm holding Mike's hand. I can make it through this car accident if Mike's here. And I was thinking as I was preparing this sermon about how crazy is it um, that she called me before the cops or the paramedics? How crazy is it that, that she has people with medical degrees? If you're watching and you're in the medical field, like how offensive to you that she trusts me uh, to hold her hand while giving blood. But there's just something about my presence in her life that produces a peace in situations. And so if you're watching this right now, you know, the presence of God, how much more the God that architected the universe, how how much more the God that created everything that your eye will ever see in the expanse of the stars and the cosmos, how much more knowing that his presence is with you. And when you study ancient civilizations, the Jewish people were very unique because they, the way in which they interacted with their deity was very different than what you see when you, through an anthropological perspective, study different cultures. Oftentimes the gods were off in the distance and you would try to appease them by a sacrifice. You would try to appease them by, you know, doing something that you felt was going to engage with them. But when you read even the Old Covenant, Old Testament scriptures, you see this Jewish people where Jacob is wrestling with the angel through the night, the angel of the Lord. And, and you see Habakkuk who is literally yelling at God, God, where were you? And he's, he's arguing with God. You see the Jewish people having this idea of the grandeur and the bigness of God, but also the intimacy and the closeness and the proximity that you have with God. And, and it really was unique to them. But when we look at the tabernacle where the physical dwelling of God's presence was, even though they understood how to engage with him in these instances that God was very much involved with their life, they also understood that, that they were different than God, although they were made in God's image and likeness. And in order to interface, in order to engage, in order to commune with God, there had to be a removal of the things that were not like God. And so when we talk about the word holiness, what we're simply saying is, what are the things in my life that are not like God? And so that when I come into his presence, it demands that those things change because we're not going to demand that God changes because God is perfection embodied in the creator of the universe. But we actually say, no, God, I come not bringing to you what I think is right, but I come to you saying, in order to go on this journey of holiness, what in me needs to change? And so in the old covenant, according to the Old Testament, we have an account of the tabernacle, which was the dwelling place of God. And 
It was built to very uh, exacting specifications. Not one iota of it could have been constructed uh, incorrectly. And, and, and there was an incredible um, work that would have taken place just to create this space. And you had to be designated to even uh, begin to move through these seven stages. But what I find interesting is that uh, what you see happen is that as Jesus Christ becomes the fulfillment of atonement, which is our covering, it enables us to go through these seven stages to enter the presence of God. And so in the same way that my wife was like, I just got into a car accident, who's the first person I should call? It's Mike. Just in the same way that she's like, they're gonna draw blood, I can do it, but I need him to hold my hand through it. We get into these situations in life where we know that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us but we also know that we need the awareness of the presence of God around us. We need the presence of God in our homes, in our workplaces, on our commute, in our conversations. And so what I wanna teach you just briefly is the seven stages of the tabernacle that the priests would have went through and how those are different designations of stages that you ought to go through in order to increase the, the manifestation of God's presence in your life. So number one is this, if you're taking down notes, it is the outer court. So the first stage was the outer court. And the outer court, the Israelites entered the tabernacle. They, they literally entered with thanksgiving on their mouth, on their tongue and they begin to praise. And you would start in this same way. So Psalm 100 verse four was not just a hokey church song for a chapel on Long Island. It was actually their, their cultural way of entering into the outer courts. It was you entered with gratitude. It didn't matter what was happening in your life. It didn't matter what you wanted to happen and that, you know, that juxtaposition between what you wanted to happen, what really happened. And then in that space, there's a dissonance that makes you negative. It was like, no, forget about what I want. This God, this single deity, the God of Jacob and Isaac, come on, the, the God of Moses demands that I come in with gratitude. <laughs> that, that's how I get towards the Holy of Holies as I start with thankfulness. So here's what I want to ask you is what can you be thankful for right now? <laughs> what can you say? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. What, what? Because that is the beginning of, of filling your space with the sweet aroma of his presence. And then they would walk through the outer courts and they would come up to number two, the brazen altar. And the brazen altar is a very powerful stage in these seven stages moving towards the Holy of Holies. Let me read this to you. Psalm 100, verse two through five. So Psalm 103, sorry, verse two through five. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your sins, heals all your diseases. All, all means all, am I right? Do I have a church that believes he can heal all diseases or just some? Like, are we waiting for medical sciences to catch up? Or we, No, 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 like he, all diseases. And then for those who have a religious spirit or were raised in cultures of condemnation, do we believe that he forgives all sin or just some sin? I mean, come, come on. And so it says this, now watch. 
uh, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Why was Psalm 103, 103 chapter, uh, chapter 103, verse two through five, so important? Very simply, when you would get to the brazen altar, you needed a guarantee of the character and the attributes of that God. Because if you didn't believe that he forgave all sins, you weren't making it to the third stage. If you, you get what I'm saying? Like you needed to know, no, no, let me, let me just convince you. You can get through the brazen altar to the next stage because he's faithful to forgive all. But in order for there to be forgiveness, there has to be, there has to be a penalty bearer. So upon the brazen altar, and this goes deep, are you guys ready to keep going with me? There had to be a sacrifice of an animal that was blameless because obviously animals are instinctual. And so even if you think an animal's done a bad thing, it's probably a bad owner, a bad pet owner <laughs> because the animals operate on instinct. And so because of that, they were blameless. They couldn't sin, they, they couldn't do it. And so the understanding was he's a holy God and the thing that I did in my life is not like him. And I am on a journey to become more like him. You see, we, we ought to be Christians that stop trying to fashion a God in our image and likeness and start serving a God. Come on, do you hear what I'm saying? It's like culture right now is trying to rewrite this book to sound more like us than it does like him. And our job is to sound like him, not make him sound more like us. And so when, so they were saying, this animal is going to take my place. And so Moses instituted that animal being a ram. And the Hebrew word that I want to introduce to our church is kafar. And kafar is the Hebrew word for atonement. And the definition of atonement is to cover, to blot out, or to cancel. I love that. Kafar. Kafar means to cover to blot out or to cancel. So when that ram was slain, the blood, now watch this, the blood of that ram would have been placed on just the tip of the right ear of the priest, the right thumb and the right foot. Have you ever heard old time Christians say, I plead the blood of Jesus. Have you ever heard that? How many of you know that they were actually hearkening back to Old Testament, Old Covenant, because there is something about being anointed with blood. We talk about being anointed with oil all the time. And anointing means this, separated, set apart. And so to place the blood upon the right ear, the right, the right thumb and the right foot would actually be their way of saying, hey, in order for you to go to the next stage of encountering the presence of God, you must be covered with that sacrifice so that you can hear in the spiritual realm. You must be covered with that sacrifice so that the works of your hands are his ways and not your ways. And then you must have it upon your feet so that you are carrying this message. And it's not your message, but it's his message. And you're not laboring in vain. And so the covering of the blood, the anointing of the blood at the brazen altar was another way of saying kafar. Now watch this. I'm going to go deeper. Can I keep going deeper? So we... We wear garments, we go to H&M, we go to, I, I don't know if you're lame, you go to the Gap, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> nerd alert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but somebody's offended, they're like, this is not the church for me. Um, yeah, I don't know where you buy clothes from. You know, maybe you, you're like, uh, I don't know. 
But here's the thing. In modern times, clothes are made post-industrialization by machines, right? And it can happen in an instant. But in ancient tradition, to actually produce one garment of quality would take sometimes over a hundred hours of toiling through each process from, you know, all the way through to the point where you could put it on. So to actually give somebody a garment and say, place this garment was a high distinction and a high honor. And there would have been an incredible price that was paid in toiling and weaving and crafting this garment to place it upon you. And so when, when you are at the brazen altar, this animal is slain, the blood is anointed upon your ear, your thumb, and your foot. And then to finish that process, a garment, a priestly garment is placed upon you that costs somebody hundreds of hours of toiling. And it's a high honor and a distinction. And how many of you know that according to the new covenant, we come to him broken and sinful. And yet all of a sudden he washes us with the blood. And then he places upon us this garment. And what is it? It's not the garment of heaviness. It's not the garment of depression and anxiety and fear. No, we cast off those restraints and he places his righteousness that took him, come on, a millennia to go through all the prophetic assignments to fulfill it, to say, I made this garment to make you a person of distinction. And then they would advance past the brazen altar. Man, I got to pick up the pace. Can you see how we can spend some time here? Number three, the laver. And this is for cleansing and preparing. And so you're taking it one step deeper. Romans chapter 12, verse one says, I I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. See, Romans chapter 12, verse one would have been paralleling this journey, getting closer and closer to the Holy of Holies to say, hey, remember after, after, watch, after the ram is slain and the blood is placed upon you, after the garment is placed upon you, remember, you must still also cleanse again, <laughs> not sacrifice again. Whoo, this is a word. Because we, we, we dare not believe that Jesus has to go on the cross a second time for our sins. But, but we also may pray the, pray the prayer of David that says, purge me, come on, cleanse me. We, we come back before the Lord and we say this, I'm offering my life as a living sacrifice because it was actually at that station of the laver where there was a, a ceremonial washing, this bowl of water that says, yes, my sacrifice has already been made for my kafar, my atonement. It's put me in right standings and enabled me to take another step into the Holy of Holies. But I also may, may also require at times a ritualistic cleansing, the washing of the word. And how many of you know that water is a synonym for the word? And so we must also declare the Bible over our lives, speak the word into our situations, cleanse ourselves again. And let me read this to you guys like this. You know, this is how I pray. And, you know, as a lead pastor of a church, forget about that. This is how I've prayed since I was 15 years old. Every single time I come into prayer, 
Father, thank you for this day. You are worthy to be praised. I lift you up. I magnify your name. You're bigger than anything I will encounter in New York today, just like you were bigger than anything I encountered in Indiana. You are over, high and exalted, above every name that is a name. God, it's like I say that every time. And then I go in past that point of thanksgiving. Then I always say, God, thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for restoring me. And I just, with that heart full of gratitude, I move on to this next part. I give you my tongue to speak good and not evil. I give you my eyes to focus on you and the needs of other people today. I give you my ears to be sensitive to your voice today. I give you my hands to do good for others. I give you my feet to walk in your ways and follow your footsteps and not culture. I give you my mind to be transformed and to be used by you today, according to Galatians 5.22. And that's just a regular and consistent thing. Some of you right now are realizing like, man, that's been missing from my life. Did you know that you still have an opportunity today to pray like that? You still have an opportunity today? Number four is this, they would move past the laver where there's this ritualistic water washing. And all of a sudden they would move to the candlestick. You can kind of feel it deepening now. The candlestick was representative of the Holy Spirit. And in the tabernacle was a seven-branched golden candlestick. The fire represents the Holy Spirit and how we are called to be light in the world's darkness. So if you can get down gratitude and thankfulness to God, if you can get down the sacrifice that was made for you, if you can get down the ritualistic cleansing of renewing your mind and going back to that place where you're saying, God, renew me, make me clean, then you advance to the candlestick. And it was in that candlestick experience, like Isaiah chapter 11, verse two says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge of the fear of the Lord. And as Jesus left, this, left the earth, that same spirit that was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, now doesn't just rest upon us, but rather dwells inside of us. How do you know that you've encountered a believer that has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? It says this, because they will have a supernatural wisdom, supernatural understanding. They will have the spirit of counsel and might inside of them. So when you speak to them and you try to tell them how it's not possible, when you try to tell them how they don't understand, when you try to, the spirit of might and counsel, which is the very manifestation, manifestation of the Holy Spirit will rise up within them and they will be begin to utter these words that are beyond human knowledge. There is something so much more profound when you understand the candlestick experience. And that's why God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to light that candlestick in your life today. Because as they were moving through each stage, you couldn't skip a stage. You can't skip thankfulness. You can't skip the cross. You can't skip that washing with water. You can't skip that garment that comes upon you. But then you also can't skip the candlestick. And I'm, it's sad for me to say that I've encountered many Christians who have never made it past the candlestick experience. Because when I talk to them, I don't hear the spirit of wisdom and understanding. When I talk to them, I don't hear the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might and the spirit of knowledge. And when I, when I talk to them, I often don't hear the fear of the Lord. But I want a church 
with our candlestick experience burning for the world to say, when you fear the Lord, you'll never fear a man. (laughs) When you know the spirit of might and counsel and wisdom and knowledge, you'll never be afraid to take the next step because it won't be the strategy of man. It'll be the wisdom of God that causes you to excel past all the others. Daniel said, I'm going into the Babylonian courts but it's time to show them this Hebrew power that I learned at the dwelling tent of the tabernacle. I may not be able to take the candlestick with me into Babylon, but I can show them the might and the power and the wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of the candlestick in Babylon. (laughs) Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And then all of a sudden you move past that. Step five, to the table of showbread. So the candlestick is lit behind you. And then all of a sudden it says this in Joshua chapter 1.8. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Somebody say always. Always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and you will be successful. So the, the, the table of showbread is this. We have this incredible gift and this powerful tool And it has great relevance and impact in our prayer life. And this is what it is. Taking time to declare the word in your prayer. The showbread. It was like when Satan said, hey, turn this stone into bread. And he said, you don't understand, Satan. I didn't come here for Panera. (laughs) I came here not for bread, but I will live and survive off of every word that proceeds out of the mouth of my father. Oh, we need to be people that are guided by the mouth of God, that we are bridled with a bit in our own mouth. And like a war horse, he can take us in any direction because he says that they are listening to my voice. Come on behind their ears and I can ride them through every storm and I can take them into every travesty and tragedy. And while the world is yet in chaos, we can be triumphant in battle because my word is what they eat. It's the very substance of their soul. Aren't you sick and tired of the words of human beings? Isn't the world groaning collectively now from a, for a wisdom that we simply do not have apart from God? You think they figured it out in politics? You think they figured it out in business? You think the educational systems have figured it out? Everything is aligning with the perfect sovereign will of God to create an insatiable desire for the wisdom of God. And you have it. You have it. You have what the world so desperately is longing for. It's inside of you. But, but see, the, the, the enemy will always block your mouth first with negativity to damn the wisdom of God from releasing through your words. And it's time to undam and unlock your mouth today to say there is going to be such a tidal wave of gratitude, such a tidal wave of thanksgiving that it unlocks and undams my praises so that I can just begin to move forward past the candlestick, past the table of showbread where now I'm praying his word and not my word. And then it says this number six, the altar of incense. There was this very small altar of burning incense that stood at the entrance of the Holy of Holies. Isn't it amazing that you have this big kind of dramatic experience of this sacrificial ram being murdered 
the blood being placed. But then as you go deeper, the altar gets smaller. Just this place of intimacy, this burning incense that stood at the entrance of the Holy of Holies where God's presence dwelled. The people of God enter God's presence as they worship his names, plural. This altar represents worship and the pleasure it gives God when we worship him. It's, it's almost as if you've heard the thundering sound of my voice. You've received my wisdom, my knowledge, my revelation. There's been a sacrifice for the kafar, the atonement for your sins. But now right before you enter that place where you see me unveiled, there's just the sweetness of that aroma that burns. Just the small altar. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Woo. The righteous run to it and they're safe. Can you imagine going through every single stage of the tabernacle and then you get down to that small altar of incense and you just begin to declare all the names of God according to Jeremiah 23, 6. You're my righteousness, God. I didn't get here because I was good. I got here because you're good. You're my sanctifier according to Leviticus chapter 20, verse 7 through 8. You're the one who heals me according to Exodus 15, 26. You're my provider according to Genesis 22, 14. You're my banner of victory according to Exodus 17, 15. And you are my peace. This small altar burning incense, Judges chapter six, verse 24, you're my peace, God. And then finally, Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not at the mall. I'm not at the grocery store. I'm not at the bank getting a mortgage. I'm just at the small burning altar of incense. And you are my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm right where my soul longs and desperately needs to be. I'm praying your names. And then lastly, number seven, you enter past this veil. And there you behold the Ark of the Covenant. The final place in the tabernacle was called the Holy of Holies, where God's presence dwelled. There the priests interceded by praying on behalf of the people of God. In the same way we intercede for those who are, those who are around us. So think about this. You've had this complete and total selfish process that you went through. Every step was for you. But then when you get into the unadulterated presence of God, when you get into the presence of God where you are face to face with the Ark of the Covenant, you say, now it's about everyone else who's not in this Ark, not in this room to experience this Ark. Now that I'm here, now that my sin has been forgiven, now that I have been cleansed, now that I've been honored with this robe of righteousness, now that I've been anointed with blood so that I can hear and see and move clearly in the perfect will of God, now God that I have your undivided attention I have family members that aren't here with me and I'm not okay with that. 
Now that I'm here, God, now that you've healed my diseases, I have friends who still need healing. Now that you've saved me, there are people who are not in this room and it's not okay. And I intercede because New York can't go to hell if I live there and your tabernacle and your ark is here with me. It's not, it's not okay. I intercede for them. It's not okay that the cars drive by our churches and they're never coming to us, but we refuse to go to them. God, I'm interceding. And I think that this is the point. If you can make it past the candlestick experience, if you can make it past the table of showbread, and if you can make it all the way, can you get into a place? Oh, I hope this convicts somebody. Can you make it to a place when you get into the holies of holies? that it's not about you anymore and you start to intercede for those who haven't made it through all those stages? Because I've met a lot of Christians that want so badly for me to create an outer courts experience. <laughs> oh, they love the loud music, man, when everybody's playing their favorite song. But I wanna invite you into the real priestly duty because this is what Christ died so that you can be a recipient of. Intercede for those who are yet still lost. It's not okay, God. Let me read this to you. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. I urge you then, first of all, that the petitions, the prayers, the intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, all people, all people. And all means all. All means your friends that you never think will accept Christ. Let's pray for them right now. All means the people that are so indoctrinated in their religion that you're like, there is no way that they will. Yeah, we're about, it says all people for kings and for those who are in authority. Come on, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives. Quiet, what does peaceful and quiet on Instagram look like for true believers? What does peaceful and quiet look like? Why? Because we know that God's gonna do what our yelling could never do. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So Jesus, he didn't go to the cross for him. He went to the cross for you. And he stood like this, arms completely opened, wide in surrender, nailed to a cross to say, I now am gonna show them what high priestly work looks like. You know what it looks like? Intercession to say, let's literally rob hell and populate heaven. Let's smell like smoke grabbing them out of addiction and the very clutches and the mouth and the bowel and the teeth of hell and let's hurl them into heaven. Like Josh said to our teams earlier, we ought not be Christians that are trying to climb the ladder of success. There's only one ladder that exists and it's from heaven right here to earth. And that is what we are going to do as a church. We are gonna push through and intercede. So right now, I wanna just pray. I want you guys to lift it up right now because we need the presence of God in our life. Many of you felt an atmospheric change as you thought about going through the new covenant adaptation or illustration of all seven of those steps. You're forgiven according to the blood you are not forsaken, you are not alone, but let us take this time now to believe for the miracle, the miracle of more souls being saved, to be an advocate 
That's your purpose. You know, all the time, Pastor Mike, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? I just told you why you're here. You're here to be a light in the darkness. You're here to bear witness of Jesus Christ and to stand in the Holy of Holies, not just to feel goosebumps, not not just to get chills down your spine, not just to get another prophetic word and another confirmation to add on your pile of prophetic words and your pile of confirmations, but to stand in that place and do your priestly role of saying, God, now I intercede. Now I intercede. So let's, let's do it now. Tag those people that you're interceding for in the comments right now. Come on, share it and tag their name. Whatever you've got to do, let them know that, you're, that you care about them and God cares about them. Let's just pray together. Father, right now, as we are just at that small altar of incense, where we're just saying, God, my heart is so full of gratitude. I'm convinced that I am forgiven and not forsaken but I stand in your holy of holies now, in your very presence, and I pray for our cousins, I pray for our uncles, I pray for even our dads and stepdads and mothers and stepmothers, I pray for those, God, who are still yet far off, those who don't know your wondrous power and your glory, those who don't know your healing power. Father, I just thank you right now for healing, forgiving, God, for just, I've heard so many testimonies in the last week, and I know that there are yet more that are coming now. Come on, just press in, just press in for 30 more seconds. Come on, just 30 more seconds. Come on, yeah, let's just begin to lift it up in song because I I saw a vision while I was preaching of like somebody's throat being like literally each word of negativity that you've spoken, each thing that you've denied that God could do or you've hardened your heart, but I just saw it being released in this moment. Some of you are gonna release a song. Some of you are gonna enter that space. So just come on, just right now, just use your own words. If you're watching at home right now, if you're at a watch party, come on, don't be afraid to get loud. Don't let anything hold back your praise. Don't, Don't let anything hold back your intercession. Come on, I dare you, call out their name. I dare you, someone from our team said someone's name last week and this week they texted them during our filming saying, I just watched the service and God moved in my life. Come on, I dare you, unlock and undamn those praises. Come on team, let's just lift it up one more time. Thank you for sticking around all the way to the end. You know, it's not enough that you listen to the podcast. I want you to join our community. So go into your app store right now, type in V1 Church, download our mobile app, join a connect group. And as always, thank you for giving financially to help us as we become a global voice of the gospel to all people. I'll see you next week.